Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. God, I know you're there, but but look, I want that. Like, God, you're not enough. You don't satisfy. We got to find our satisfaction in Him alone. Amen? And if you can't be satisfied in God, check this out. Nothing else will ever satisfy you. If you won't find your satisfaction in the Lord, you're just going to be dissatisfied. Because everything else you chase down, all you're going to do, once you get it, you might enjoy it for a little while, but you will eventually be dissatisfied once again. In today's message, Pastor Bill will encourage listeners to find their ultimate satisfaction in the person of Jesus Christ. The enemy knows that there are many enticing things in this world to demand our time and attention. Some people spend their entire life going from one material pleasure to the next, seeking satisfaction. Only God can satisfy the true desires of our heart. Where do you seek satisfaction today? Have you been trying and failing to find it in the world? The Lord wants to satisfy you. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 8 for today's edition of A Transforming Word. The God of heaven and earth wants a relationship with you and you're going to miss out on it. That bums me out. It grieves my heart. But I can't take it personal. I can't take personal offense when someone rejects God. So God told Samuel, Samuel, heed their voices and all that they said to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me that I should not reign over them. And this is such a a wise response that he received from the Lord. And again, I would encourage you guys to take to be careful not to take people's rejection of God personal where you start fighting with them over it. Don't do that. Give them some space and pray for them and, and maybe try again another day. They aren't rejecting you. They're rejecting God. Look at verse eight and nine. Now, it says, according to all the words which they have done since the day that I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day with which they have forsaken me and served other gods. So they are doing to you. God says, Samuel, furthermore, what they're doing to you today is what they've done to me or my whole my, our whole history. God says, from the very day that I brought them out of Egypt to this present day, they have forsaken me and served other gods. So it's no surprise, Sam, that though you've been their leader all these years, though you've been a faithful judge all these years, no surprise that they're doing the same thing to you that they did to me. This is the kind of people that they are. These are unfaithful people. It's not you, Samuel. It's them. And this is what God is telling him. If you're a note taker, write down John chapter 15, verse 18. Jesus in preparing his disciples for what it was going to be like to to minister the gospel in the world in which they were in. He warned them that it wasn't going to be easy, that the same way people felt about him, they were going to feel about you. And so Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 18, he says, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. It's not a new thing. It's not not a new idea that the world don't like you. They didn't like me neither. And so it's okay. Just be be, be accepting of that when it happens. And so now verse 9, God gives uh, Samuel uh, a command of what to do. He says, now therefore heed their voice. However, you shall solemnly forewarn them and show them the behavior of the king who will reign over them. So God says you can give them what they want. But I want you to warn them of what these kings are going to do to them when they come. Now, I'll talk a little bit at the end of the message about the permissive will of God. But here God is saying, 
I'm going to give them what they want. And I want you to know that this is dangerous. This is, this is not what we want, right? God has a perfect will for us. We want, we want God's perfect will for us. We don't want when God says, okay, fine, go ahead, have that. That's not what we want. You don't want God to say, oh, you know what? That's what you want? Go ahead. Sometimes people are pushing and pushing and they, God, give me one, ah, man, they're crying and begging and pushing. And God has already said, no, this is my will. And we're pushing and pushing. And I think the scariest thing in the world is for God to say, go on then, go on then. I think that's a scary place to be in because one thing you know is that's not where God's blessing is going to be. That was not the intent. That's not what I wanted to do for you. I wanted to do something so much better, but go on. I don't know if any parents have ever had to do that with a kid. They had to go figure it out for themselves. So you say, go on, go on, go on, figure it out. Go on and see for yourself. Essentially here, God is saying, go, go ahead. I, I, I had a perfect will. The perfect will was me governing over you guys. But now that you guys are rejecting me, you want a man? You want a person? You want a king? Who's the first king that they get? And he looked good when it started. We'll see in a little while, right? Saul started off real good, but anybody know what happened with Saul? It went downhill fast. Saul looked like, he looked like, because their biggest enemies were the Philistines. They got giants. Saul looked like a good king because the Bible says he was head and shoulders taller. They say, that's, that's what I'm talking about. Our king is big. He's swole. Like, yeah. You know what I'm saying? We ready for the battle. And what happened when Goliath rolled in? Did Saul step? Saul was like, Whoever will step up and fight him, I will give you one of my ugly daughters as a wife and, and I'll free you from paying taxes. And, uh, and he jacked up David with that deal <laughs> and he gave him Mikhail. But anyway, I don't know if she was ugly, but <laughs> I'm just kidding. But that's what Saul did, right? He, he didn't step up. He didn't go to battle. He didn't show up. And, and it got worse and worse and worse and worse from there. And so this is the beginning of the end of them having God govern them. It's a bad situation for Israel. And so we, we have to learn from this, that God permits them to do this, but it doesn't serve them well. And so God is even good enough to say, let's warn them before they commit to this all the way. Tell them what it's going to be like when they get this king that they want so bad. And so from verses 10 through 18, God tells them what it's going to be like to have a king. I'm going to read through it. and I'll highlight a few things. Verse 10. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who asked him for a king. And he said, this will be the behavior of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for his own chariots and to be his horsemen. And some will run before his chariots. He will appoint captains over his thousands and captains over his fifties. Will set some to plow his ground and reap his harvest and some to make his weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. So, so far, he said, y'all going to be riding my horses, taking care of my, my harvest and, my, and making my weapons, wood, ironwork, all this stuff. He will take some of your daughters, verse 13. He will take your daughters to be perfumers, cooks, and bakers. Notice he's going to take your daughters. You ain't got to, you know, it's not an option. The kings say, send her over here. You're going to send her over here. I'm going to take some of your daughters to be perfumers, cooks, and bakers. Then it says in verse 14, and he will take the best of your fields your vineyards and your olive groves and give them to his servants. So your, your fields, your vineyards, your olive groves, I mean, he's taking them to give them to his servants. That's what you ask him for. Verse 15, he will take a tenth of your grain and your vintage and give it to his officers and servants. And he will take your male servants, your female servants, your finest young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take a tenth of your sheep 
and you will be his servants and you will cry out in that day because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves and the Lord would not hear you in that day. That's a big deal. That last verse is a big deal. He said, you're going to cry out because of your king who you have chosen. And when you do, God says, I'm not going to hear you on that day. Now, I want you to pay attention to something very important in that whole section about what the king was going to be like. Does it say that the king is going to do anything for them? No, he's just going to take. Give me your kids. Give me your daughters. Give me your grain. Give me your land. Give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. He's not doing anything for them. He's taken from them, not giving anything to them. And then when they're sick of it and they cry out, God says, ah, I'm not going to listen. That's what you asked for. You got what you wanted. I will not, I'm not going to hear you out on the day you cry out about it. Uh, it's going to be your fault on that day. So here's the lesson here, right? God gives them fair warning. He says, guys, this is what it's going to be like. This is why you don't want to do this. But if you insist when you do get what you want and you don't like it, I'm, I'm not going to listen. I'm not going to listen when you cry out about it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to be there for you. So God gives them full warning, tells them all the things the king is going to take. And then verse 19, it says, nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, but we will have a king over us. Anybody here ever wanted something so bad that even, even when you understood it was a bad deal, you just, you was going, you was just bent on doing it anyway. Just kind of in the flesh. I remember when I was younger and I was I was thinking about buying a car and I had never I don't I didn't have I didn't have any kind of pay like pay stubs or anything like that. All my money I was making was under the table at that time. Um, that was right before I got saved and right after I got saved. And so I was talking to somebody about, you know, going to get this car off this lot. And I was bent on getting this one particular car. I just I don't know why. I just I wanted that car. And uh, thank God my dad uh, talked me out of it. My dad was, my dad rolled over with me to check it out. And uh, he, he, he kind of convinced me of what a stupid deal it was and how bad of a situation. Y'all know them places that say no credit check. We'll just, we, you know, we'll give you what well, a deal. The deal was bad. And my dad was like, do the math, man. You, you're going to buy that car about three times. It's not that young to begin with, son. That, that, they don't have that much life left in it to begin with. So about halfway through the life of this car, you're going to still be paying it for another time and a half. And thankfully, you know, he talked me out of it and saved me from some food. I would have been, I'd have had a bucket and, uh, and a bill, you know, to go with it or whatever. So sometimes we can be like this where we are so bent on our way that we can't even be reasoned with. Somebody can bring up valid points and you're like, yeah, 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 I'm doing it anyway. To me, that's where Israel is at this point. They're so in the flesh. They've made their decision. They want what they want. God can't even reason with them. God is warning them of what it's going to be like. He's told them all the terrible things that a king is going to be and do. And they're like, nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, but we will have a king over us. That we may, verse 20, notice what it says, that we may be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Now, this is interesting, right? Because the, the two reasons they state for wanting a king multiple times in this chapter, it says that we would have a king like the other nations or like all the nations. Warning number one, we need to be careful as God's people about looking to what the world has and wanting what they have. 
right? That's what's wrong here. They had, they had a relationship with the living God. And they were like, but the nations around us have kings that we can see. Our God is invisible. We worship him by faith. We can't see him. Even though we've experienced his miracles and he brought us out of Egypt and he fed us in the wilderness and he, he shows up when we obey him. They're saying, we want a God. I don't want to use his faith. I want a God I can see. I want what they have over there. We want to be careful, warning them, or be careful about wanting what the world has. When you have a relationship with the true, what we have is so much better. What you have access to in God is so much greater. Be careful about looking at the world and lusting after what they have. Um, because here's the thing. Some of what the world has looks fun. It looks good. But what does the Bible tell us? The sin is pleasurable for how long? Just for a season. And then it runs out and it burns you, you know, tear you all up. And so be careful about looking at them and lusting after what they have today in our society. You know, people are, you know, we have with our social media and television and whatnot. We all know that people present what they want you to see. Right. So you can have somebody in a bad relationship and they only post pictures on a happy day. It may have been a happy moment in the midst of a terrible day. And that's what they post. And you're like, oh, I want that. <laughs> and, and they have it. I don't have it. <laughs> and you be mad at God because you're like, God, I'm faithful to you. I'm going to church. And God's like, you don't see the whole picture, sweetheart. You don't see what all is going on. That ain't, that's not a happy life over there. Some of us looking at people on television, they got money. They got cars, they got houses. It looks like, oh man, that looks like, I want that life. But when you get those people give an honest interview, they're not even happy. All that stuff and they're not happy. All that stuff and they're discontent. All that stuff and they got no peace to go with it, right? And you, all along, you had God. You had peace, you were sleeping good in your little bitty house and your comfortable bed on, your, on the half of the couch you was on, but you were sleeping good in it. You had the peace of God. Some of these people would give up everything they have for the peace that believers have if they knew what it was. And so be careful about looking at what the world has and wanting it. I want you to know this. It's an offense to God when we look him off. Like, I know, I know God, I know you're there, but, but look, I want that. Like, God, you're not enough. You don't satisfy. We got to find our satisfaction in him alone. Amen. And if you can't be satisfied in God, check this out. Nothing else will ever satisfy you. If you won't find your satisfaction in the Lord, you're just going to be dissatisfied because everything else you chase down, all you're going to do once you get it, you might enjoy it for a little while, but you will eventually be dissatisfied once again. But you can find satisfaction in the Lord that is lasting. Jesus told the woman at the well, if you drink, of the water that I'm offering, you will never thirst again. You've been thirsty. You've been trying to fill that thirst with men and relationships. But if you drink of the water that I'm offering you, he says, you'll never thirst again. You will finally have soul satisfaction. And so I exhort you in the love of the Lord that you be satisfied in Jesus, that you look to Jesus to fill your cup and that we don't look to the world for what they have and lust after it, but that we would long for Jesus above every and anything. That's the first thing. So they said that we may be like the other nations. And it says that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. They thought that they were losing battles because God wasn't getting it done for them. They were losing battles because they weren't obedient to the Lord and God was letting them be spanked. And picking a king wasn't going to fix that for them. Picking an earthly king was not the solution to not being right with God. They should have repented 
and got right with God. Every time Israel repented and was right with God, they were victorious against all their enemies, no matter how many numbers the enemy had. It is when Israel was disobedient out of alignment with the Lord that they found that they were defeated. So rather than fixing this spiritual problem with a spiritual solution, which is to repent, Israel said, ah, you know what we'll do? We're going to go further away from God and find someone else to protect us. They'll be regret for this the rest of their history. They'll never have it as good as they had had it before from this point on, as they have men to depend on instead of God to look to. And so, again, we want to be careful about that as well. Here's what that looks like in our vernacular, in our, our world. When people don't do things God's way, and then they, they look at the result and they blame God for it. God, you look at God, I just, I, you know, look what you like, happened to me. And it's like, no, you did that. You, you didn't obey me. You didn't do anything I told you to do. You sinned against me. You, you willfully rebelled against me. And then as your life falls apart, you're like, God, look what you did to me. Ah. That's what people do in, in our world. You know, we blame him for the result of us not obeying, not honoring. We got to be careful about that. If we don't obey God, then we've reaped what we have what? Right. We sow, we reap what we sow. That's, that's what we get. One of my children was little. They didn't know how to say, that's what you get. And they would say, that's what you take. And uh, we would always laugh because they, they had the words twisted around. But it was, that's what you take. You know? So essentially, when you rebel against God, that's, that's what you take. That's, it. that's what you get for what you just did and disobeying the Lord. I, I won't name you, Benjamin. But that's essentially what happened here. So they were losing because of their disobedience. They should have repented. God would have forgiven them. And they could have they had things right again. And so they're looking for military help from a man that God would have provided. Again, think about the foolery of that, right? God, when God showed up to protect, then who could, who could defeat the Lord? Nobody. Now they got a man they got to depend on. And um, again, that's going to be a, a fail for them as they move forward. Now, moving on, verse 21, it says, And Samuel heard all the words of the people, and he repeated them in the hearing of the Lord. So the Lord said to Samuel, Heed their voice and make them a king. And Samuel said to the men of Israel, every man go to his city. So God basically tells Samuel, Samuel, give them what they want. Go, go make them a king. And so he says, all right, everybody go home. I, I got to go make you guys a king. And he sends everybody home to their city. And so I wrote this down that it's a sad day when God gives us what we want instead of what he wanted to give us. This is a sad day for Israel where God said, fine, you don't want me. You don't have to have me. You can have what you want instead. And understand that God is a gentleman and he does the same thing for us. If somebody says, I don't want Jesus to be, God says, okay, all right. You can have what you want. Go ahead. It's, it comes with consequences, uh, consequences and repercussions. You know, it, it's going to have some challenges. But if you, if you choose what you want, God will let you have it. But you're going to have everything that comes along with it. But the same is true if you choose Jesus, that you get to have him and everything that comes along with him. And I'm here as, as your pastor, loving y'all, loving God, saying, man, please choose Jesus. Don't choose another way. Don't choose your own way. Don't do your own thing. Let him be Lord over your life and circumstances and situations. Let God be the one to dictate to you what to do and how to do it, that his blessing may be upon what you do. While God permitted them to have the king that they asked for, it was not his perfect will for their life. I want to read us a verse. I want everybody to turn to Romans Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Paul speaking to the Romans. He says, I beseech you, 
therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies at a, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Notice this, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So Paul tells us here, look, there is a will of God that's good, acceptable, and perfect, and he tells us how to get it. I'm going to go back through this real quick and slow and, and just lay it out for us. First, he says, I beg you guys, by God's mercies, because God's been merciful to you, present yourselves to God a living sacrifice. Let me break that down for us. Normally, sacrifices are presented dead. You kill it and you offer it to God. He consumes it. It's offered up dead. But he says, I want you to present your bodies a living sacrifice. Can I make this statement that it's a, a, a living sacrifice is more difficult to present than a dead sacrifice? Because a dead sacrifice only has to die once. A living sacrifice dies daily. And so God says, but I don't, I don't want a dead sacrifice. I want, I want you to sacrifice daily. Live for me. Die to yourself on a, on a regular basis. Die to yourself. Present yourself to me a living sacrifice. I die to myself daily to live for God is what he's saying. He says, holy acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. That word holy means set apart by God for God, living a life that's acceptable to God. So that's in obedience to his word. And it says, and when you've done that, right, living sacrifice, set apart for God, acceptable living. He's a, that's just your reasonable service based on everything Christ has done because he died for you. That's reasonable that you would do this. Not even a big deal. This is your reasonable service expected that you would live this way. Then he tells us in verse two, do not be conformed to this world. This world has a direction it's going in. The idea is like a, if you ever had the sand at the beach and you put in little molds, when it says don't be conformed, don't let this world put you in its mold and make you look like it. Don't be conformed into this world. It says, but instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That happens as you take in God's word. Hear it and obey it. Your mind will be transformed. It'll be renewed. He says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, he says, then, as you live this way, you're going to be able to prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect. Those three words are so important. Good, acceptable, perfect. There's a good and acceptable and a perfect will of God. I want that for me, and I want that for you guys. We all want this. We want this, you guys. You want the good, acceptable, perfect will of God for your life. And Paul just told you how to get it. What we don't want to do is what we just read about. It's people who are saying, God, we don't want you. We don't want your way. We want to do our own thing. They're not getting the good, acceptable, perfect will of God. We want to do like this, living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, not conformed to this world, transformed by the renewing of our mind so we can prove, I can know it. I don't hope it's the will of God. I don't, I don't think maybe it might be. I can prove the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God for my life and for your life. So I encourage you guys that we would live this way, uh, we got an example of what not to do in 1 Samuel chapter 8. Amen? Well, we got an example of what to do, Romans 12, 1 and 2. So we know what not to do. Don't reject God. Don't reject his way. Don't insist on your own way in opposition to God's will and word. And we learn what to do. Yielded, sacrificial life, renewed of our mind, not conformed to this world so we can prove the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God for our life. Lastly, as they said, give us a new leader. 
We don't want any new leader. We want Jesus to remain king. Amen. I don't need a new leader. I got the best leader already. His name is Jesus and no one will ever trump my king. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords always will be. So glad you've joined us today here on A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. We're currently in the book of 1 Samuel. Many of the childhood Bible stories stem from this book. David is a main character, and he came from humble means. He was a simple shepherd boy, but God had great things in mind for him. He was a musician also, and this served him well as he was able to help King Saul. But more than these occupational type of skills, David had a heart for God like no other. God refers to David as a man after his own heart. What a compliment coming from the very creator of everything. This doesn't mean that David was perfect. As we all know, he wasn't. But his heart was continually coming back to God, seeking help, asking for refuge, and coming back with a repentant heart. This is the type of heart God wants from each of us. Do you find yourself looking up to David and his character? If you'd like to learn more about David and 1 Samuel, feel free to listen to more teachings from this series on our website, calvaryinglewood.org. That's calvaryinglewood.org. A Transforming Word is a ministry out of Calvary Chapel Inglewood in Inglewood, California. Our time with you today is about up, but we encourage you to keep reading and studying this eventful book of the Bible. We're so grateful you took the time to listen today. And Pastor Bill will be back with more in the coming edition of 1 Samuel. Until then, keep your head in the Word and your heart close to God. Then, make sure to come back for another insightful edition of A Transforming Word.